Welcome back, listeners, to this week's episode of If I Only Knew. I'm joined by my fantastic co-host, as usual. G'day, Fred. How are you going? G'day, Matt. I'm bringing an interesting point to Fred today. Now, this is a, a deeply intergenerational discussion that I want to have with Fred, and I think this is square in the sights of our podcast today. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about the death of Australian comedian Barry Humphreys, um, who was very renowned for the part that he played, Dame Edna Everich. Barry Humphreys is a comedian. Dame Edna was the kind of persona that he played on stage, who was a, a dressed up as a drag queen, uh, played a very like female character damon as i understand it fred was like satirizing kind of celebrity culture and and uh was like quite a quite a piece of australian cultural iconography right like i feel like most people particularly in your generation are familiar with damon as a as a character right i'm familiar with an older dame edna mm-hmm. there is a generation before me that were somewhat enamoured with Dame Edna because a young Barry Humphreys went to the UK and applied the sort of laconic Australian humour through Dame Edna. So it was a very Australian lens on almost his take on a panto-style drag queen. Mm. So people that, you know, people that are my parents' age would have seen the emergence of I think he was 25, 26, and and when he created the character, and the character gave him great license to uh, satire, you know, sort of the British and the British aristocracy, which is why he became such a, you know, uh, a loved individual, and I believe to the point where uh, King Charles called him, you know, a day before his, his passing and spoke to him. So he's Barry Humphreys, but predominantly Dame Edna mm. is one of the few Australian icons, if you like, I use that word loosely, that actually travelled across and created fame in both the UK and the US because there was a great outpouring in the US as mm. well. Uh, again, though, it was the older Dame Edna that got prominent in the US, not the you know the the young, edgy Barry Humphreys that sort of took. Um, took on the zeitgeist in the UK, but I know you've got a real angle on this one. I know you're you're sort of looking at this. Um, I will say that uh, before I throw to your very specific angle on this, there's two things that, or a couple of things that I specifically know about Barry Humphreys. He was never ever a favourite of people that believe in uh, the ideals of feminism because he would quite often in his persona as Dame Edna there was a there was still a misogynistic element to his humor yeah just because he was a man in a dress didn't make him a woman and there was a lot of controversy around the way he spoke about sex in particular then there is an issue around gender we have to remember he was um you know a very old man when he died and you know a decade or so ago he made some very, very, very poor choices around the way he interacted with women in his life. His famous quote was, I didn't know what sexual harassment was. I thought it was persistent courtship. So we can't whitewash that the man himself was very flawed when it came to his attitudes and dealings with women. And then several years ago, he made very off-colour comments about the trans community and used the word mutilation. Mm-hmm. He then recanted those and said that essentially it was a remnant of him growing up in a very different time. Uh, There's no credit in recanting it. I think that was a 
uh, a business decision. The reality is he said it, and it was ironic for a man that dressed as a woman and made his living predominantly as a drag queen. I would say, though, that there's one thing that he has said in an interview that allows me to reconcile all of that with the impact of Dame Edna, which was that often when he was dressed as Dame Edna, it was a dissociative process for him. And he once said that Dame Edna on stage made a quip to somebody because he wasn't there. He, he used to say he wasn't there when Dame Edna was, but he was watching in his own mind. And he said, when she made that fast quip, his comment to himself was, God, I wish I had a thought of that. Yeah. So I think he was a deeply complex performer, but I understand why, despite the fact that uh, we celebrate a career that really did a lot for Australia in terms of creating a personality, much like the performers of his age and generation, it is not a simple story. Um, and we can't go back and, uh, and you know, sanitise some really problematic behaviour but we can look at Dame Edna and say, I have seldom seen, there's a great clip that's during the rounds of Dame Edna sitting in the royal box at a royal command performance, yeah, getting a card, turning to, to the then Prince Charles and Camilla and saying, I'm sorry, they found me a better seat. Now, that is actually quite genius in its own way. It's a very, very clever approach to humour. And just lampooning um, all that is this, British aristocracy and stuff like that. But Matt, it's funny because you've been a part of some conversations about Barry Humphreys and the great Dame Edna Everidge. And you found an angle on it that wouldn't have even occurred to me. So what was it? Absolutely. I love how you have summed up the deep complexity of this conversation really succinctly there, Fred, because I want to like the, the sociology of gender around Barry Humphreys and Dame Edna Everidge is something I'm certainly not an expert on, but that seems a very ripe field to explore, right? You know, you've talked about how Dame Edna um, seemed to thrive on this um, satirization of class. Um, but you've also really explicitly, and even in Barry Humphreys' own words, drawn the distinction between Dame Edna and Barry Humphreys. And that's exactly what I want to talk about today, specifically with the concept of pronouns in mind. Now, obviously, we've talked about pronouns before on this um, podcast, and I think the idea of pronouns get far too much airtime when it comes to discussions about gender and identity, um, because I'm of the opinion that people who are dismissive of trans identities uh, use pronouns as something of a straw man argument by saying, oh, you know, they're not grammatically correct. You, I don't know what to call this person. It's too confusing. It's not right. It's not true. Um, people, you know, supporters of trans identities get drawn into this argument as well, saying, no, no, it is right. It's, it's grammatically true. I think that argument is beside the point. And I think that exists to um, disguise a more general discomfort with like non-binary gender and, and like the more modern understanding of genderous performance. Um, and I think that the situation with Barry Humphreys and Damon Neverage provides a crystal clear insight into the fact that these debates about discomfort with pronouns are not all they're cracked up to be right because i've been having these interesting conversations at the dinner table with people older people in my life who have very very comfortably moved between talking about damon neverage and her comedic talents her performance in the um royal box at that show with prince charles um her social impact her hilarious ability to present herself in the uk 
and then moving into how sad they were to hear that Barry Humphreys had died and that he was no longer going to be able to bring Daybinder and that he had a big impact on Australian culture. Now, what I'm trying to highlight here is the ease with which these conversations move between uh, the discussions of Daybinder as her and use those pronouns and, and, and fully seem to understand Daybinder as an independent character with their own identity, um, who is a woman in this case, right? and Barry Humphreys as a man using a he pronoun without a single second thought, not a blink of the eye, because to these people, Daymenda is a woman and Barry Humphreys is a man. And we can see that because that's the language we use to describe them. And that's something that culturally Australians in the second half of the 20th century seem to have been very familiar with. And I just thought that was fascinating for it because drag queens seem to have popped up, especially in the US, as this huge scapegoat for all the gender troubles that we seem to be having at the moment. And I think that it's revealing that we seem to actually have a legacy in Damon Nerevridge of um, presenting as different gender identities and a cultural comfort with that difference in gender. Now, I want to be very specific because this is a thorny space given the complexity of Humphreys that you've um, discussed, Fred. And I want to be specific in saying I recognise that there is uh, a big difference between an actor playing a role and the fact that Barry is like a cis man that surely makes older people more comfortable with the fact that it's merely play pretend. And I also think there's a tendency culturally and socially to relegate discomforting topics to comedy because that sanitizes them, makes them easier. If it's just something we're laughing at or laughing with, we don't have to live with the fact that real people suffer and struggle because of their gender identity. All that being said, and with that recognised, I am merely observing the ease with which older generations of Australians who perhaps struggle with non-binary gender and sexuality in modern times uh, seem to be able to embrace the differing gender identities of Barry Humphreys and Dave Ender. And I thought that was a fascinating direction because of how culturally iconic Dave Ender has been. And so how I would have thought influential uh, her performances would have been on Australians. Have you heard people in your life be able to do the separation, do you think, Fred? And not only have I heard it, I've witnessed it, as have you. And there's an interesting backdrop to this, Matt, because uh, we have in one scenario uh, the states in Australia vying for and actually competing for the memorial service for Barry Humphreys. And Victoria won, and literally said it, won the rights to hold the, the memorial service. Right. At the same time and in the same week, a council meeting in Monash was uh, bombarded by far-right protesters that were arguing that the council had no right to support a drag queen story hour in a local library on a day that um, has been set aside to recognise gender diversity. So I think of those two things, and I think Barry Humphrey's greatest legacy to Australia may be creating the um, dissociation between himself and his character and his character having a life of its own to the extent where they are seen as two completely separate entities. But the reality is, if we call out bullshit on all these people that say pronouns and gender recognition are too hard, we actually have proof positive and evidence that not only aren't they hard to do, but they're actually quite natural based on 
um, what people expect of us. And Barry Humphreys created a female character that everybody treated as a female. They were in on the joke. And as you said, um, humour is often the default for really uncomfortable stuff. The one point I want to make, and this is where it's very interesting for me, is people today would say there is no right for a child to be exposed to a drag queen. Right, yeah. In drag queen story hour. However, Damien Everidge was an absolute constant in my childhood on Australian television. Hmm. So, one... I saw a lot of Dame Edna as a kid and I have no gender insecurity. <laughs> yeah. I also saw a lot of Aussie ostrich and I didn't think I was a large um, <laughs> bird. Really. Yeah, it's a good point. But despite the complexity of Barry Humphreys, I think uh, there is an element of, which I think as a, as a satirist, he in some perverse way probably would have enjoyed in that, he was actually disproving all of this really far right bunk very openly throughout his career just by existing. Now, I don't know if he even considered himself a drag queen, but I certainly think that there are great drag queens that are comedians. He was uh, in his own way. Um, I, I am told, I've never seen him perform live, but I'm told that even as Barry Humphreys, he was quite an entertainer. But you've got to remember that he his whole purpose for being was to take on the establishment and to throw rocks at the norm, to throw rocks at um, those things that people held sacrosanct. And he did it so well, he was embraced by the thing he was attacking. So I think the point you make is part of a legacy where he got us all in on the act so much so that we believed it. And I think, I, I will say this, um, from a psychological perspective, I think the character of Dame Edna will outlast the reputation of the man that played the character. And I think that's actually really, really, really unique. I can only think of a few in life, in my life, that you see like that. James Bond would be the only other one that kind of comes to mind. Mm. And um, I think that you've polarised the discussion in a way that makes so much sense to me because looking through your eyes, all those people that would say, oh, these pronouns have gone nuts. Yeah, exactly. Very natural with what they're familiar with. And and I will say this, I'll, I'll end my part of the podcast by saying I genuinely don't believe that the majority of people have any hang-ups about using pronouns. Hmm. I don't think they have any hang-ups about gender. I don't think they have any hang-ups about people's preferences in the bedroom. I think it is always very, very vocal. And we saw this at that Monash Council meeting because none of them live there. Mm. Very vocal minority that want a virtue signal. But really what they're doing is shit-stirring. Mm. They're just looking for a fight because being being on the in their mind the right side of a fight is a way of making insignificant people significant. I think that they should just be ignored. And I think that's sort of such an important point when we think about uh, social movements is that the majority of people are pretty willing to listen to good counsel. Um, but if you if your media landscape is committed to stirring a moral panic for whatever it might be, if, if there are vested interests in belittling a group of people to empower 
the powerful or to maintain the status quo or whatever it might be, then the people who in general are willing to listen to good counsel suddenly start fearing for the children or suddenly start feeling under attack whenever they um, misgender someone. And this becomes much more of a problem. Yeah, I think I, I think that's the most important part to me is I the, the question I have that I'm unequipped to deal with, and maybe our older listeners can reflect on this after the podcast for themselves, is um, what was it that created the clear distinction in their minds between Damon Everidge and Barry Humphreys? Because I suspect that as you watch that variety show where Damon uh, um, interacts with Prince Charles, I suspect that the commentators would have said, oh, isn't she so funny? Isn't she the one that's found a better seat? Wasn't that a fantastic performance from her? And I think we take our lead from the people in these spaces. And if the commentators had failed to get in on Barry Humphreys' performance and had instead said, oh, he's such a, a Australian cracker, then we wouldn't have this discussion that we're having now because it wouldn't have challenged social norms. But because people who were leading the, you know, cultural community in these areas were the ones who identified Dame Edna as she, that's where people took their cues from. And that's where people started to develop their own language. Now, that's my hypothesis. I encourage our listeners to, to think a bit more about why is that distinction so clear in their minds? Absolutely. I think this is such an interesting space for this kind of modern discourse because I'm intrigued by the fact that progress isn't linear, right? That we don't have a development towards more more inclusive, more accepting societies that inevitably happens. And this brought that home to me because it seems as if this should have served as a powerful launching pad for uh, more inclusive discussions about gender in our society because a generation of Australians grew up with someone explicitly playing with gender barriers for the sake of comedy and for the sake of political satire, which seems to me to be the heart of the idea of genderist performance, um, that it is something that one can take on or take off depending on their needs and perhaps depending on their personal identity and internal feelings. Um, that hasn't happened. And I think America plays an important cultural role in leading this discussion. Um, but I think it's very worth investigating the way that we instinctively talk about identity and gender and people. And I think the discussions I've had at the dinner table with older people in my life have been very revealing with that critical lens in mind. I think, Matt, that the thought I'd leave you with is for, for change to happen, Barry Humphreys would have to have been an activist for that change. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that I can read his intent, but I will say this. Given that he was anti-establishment and that he was taking the piss, he may have, in the most subversive way possible, attacked the idea of gender norms in such a intrinsic and subversive way that he won the argument without having to fight because his character is referred to as she, mm. which is what a lot of people want. So he may be, as a performer, one of the most brilliant activists around gender norms that we ever know, because he won the argument without ever needing to fight for it, mm. just by being there. And that may be, ultimately, despite all the problematic behaviour, part of his legacy, that he, will, he allowed us to believe that a man that performed as a female character, had a different identity to that female character, and he got to be both. Mm. So if there's a if there's a hallmark of brilliance in his performance, that's probably it. And that's a legacy that, as you've said, 
creates a very real dialogue about why we might struggle to give people a common courtesy today. One of your best ones, Matt. Thank you all for listening this one this uh, week. As you all know, uh, if I only knew comes out on a regular basis, if there's a suggestion that you have for an upcoming information a session, a podcast, something that you want us to talk about, someone you want us to talk to, please reach out in the comments. Make sure you like and subscribe. We want to get to a certain milestone this year, which is over a thousand discreet listeners giving us feedback so that we can do a bit of a town hall and get a whole heap of people on to ask us some questions, um, you know, and ponder the deep issues in life. Like, why is Matt continuing to carry Fred's uh, podcast? <laughs> we'll see you all next week. See you, Matt. See you, Fred. Thanks for letting me pick your brains on this. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Better Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.